Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Filling in for Darren, the amazing Anne Bonnie. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, we have a special guest today. We have Scott Rankin, who is a project executive with American National Insulation. Uh, they're, they're, as the name implies, a uh, uh, insulation contractor. I, I will need to let you know, folks, that we are flying solo today, that my uh, uh, guest host, uh, Anne, unfortunately, had another obligations. So it's just Scott and me. We'll try and muddle through without her help and uh, we'll see where this goes. So Scott, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dave. Appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to having a great conversation today. Absolutely. Well, as our listeners know, we always start off with the same question, which is the name of the show is Disarming Persuasion. What does that phrase mean to you? To me, Disarming persuasion uh, means a couple of things, I think, or it could mean a couple of things, depending on the audience. So I think disarming persuasion has to be tailored to, you know, who you're directing it toward. And you might need to adapt. You may not be able to use the same method or strategy to communicate and persuade, depending on the individual or group that you're speaking with. So. I think that's that's the that's it in a nutshell. Awesome, yeah, and you know, there's no wrong answer, no right answer. It's just your answer. But I'm always curious. Um, my 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 co-host Darren, uh, who is on a medical leave, but he uh, he and I have different backgrounds, but that seemed to, to resonate with both of us. Um, so you uh, you have an interesting background and past. Uh, your road to being a project executive. Mm-hmm. You started off as an estimator, correct? Yes. yes. So Back in the mid eighties. Mid eighties. So we're aging ourselves as an estimator. Were you responsible for people? Uh, typically? No. Uh, that was a solo type of role. And that was uh, initially for the first couple of years, that solo role was really in support of one or perhaps two or three uh, different uh, individuals that we were known back then as sales reps who actually had the customers that we were servicing. So back then you did the takeoffs, figured out what the actual, what it would actually take to do a project. And then the sales rep was responsible for persuading the uh, clients that you were the right solution and you didn't have people who reported to you, correct? That is correct. That is correct. I, I was initially for the first few, year, few years, I was in a support role to other individuals who were ser- responsible for maintaining the relationships with our customers and then also, you know, closing the deal on different projects that we were bidding on. So at some point, your career transition where you either were doing uh, business development on your own and had to, you know, close those deals yourself or you had people who were uh, reporting to you. 
Tell, what That's was that right. transition like where all of a sudden you found yourself having to support a team? So it, it wasn't, I didn't find it that difficult. Uh, you know, even in the support role, you did communicate with customers on a regular basis uh, in addition to the sales reps that you were supporting. Uh, but transitioning into the responsibility uh, or the, the zone or sphere of having your own responsibility for your own customers in a given area or, or type of business, whether it was commercial construction or industrial related construction, et cetera, or even geography, uh, you know, that was a fairly easy transition I found. And at that point, you know, I, I, then I had a support person doing estimating for me, uh, but what, that was not a, that, that was never a constant support role, either with the way I was doing it or for the, those that were supporting me. Uh, it was, you know, kind of an as needed. Uh, if the cup gets too full, then you have to grab an estimator and get some help with a job. So, uh, you know, a lot of it was uh, individual responsibility from soup to nuts, start to finish, estimate, uh, proposal, and then, you know, closing the business. Yeah, so construction is a little different than a lot of other sales roles in that um, there's a lot of bidding involved, a lot of sort of uh, arm's length, and mm -hmm. those relationships are sometimes hard to create. What was yeah. the biggest challenge you had uh, in, in that role? And or maybe another way of thinking about the question is looking back, if you were talking to yourself uh, you know, 20 years ago, what advice would you have? Right. Uh, I think first question, you know, what were the challenges? I think the, the initially the challenges were geographically, uh, ch geographic challenges. My, my area just happened to be the Atlantic City, South Jersey area uh, at that time. And that was the time when there was a boom in Concedo construction. Uh, you know, it was great guns in Atlantic City and, uh, you know, you just needed to be there a lot. So that happened to be two, two and a half hours away from my home. So, you know, geography, you spend a lot of time in the car, getting there and getting back. Uh, you know, you can't just pop over to the, to the customer's office and have lunch too easily. You really had to make a plan. Uh, and then coinciding with that, uh, I was responsible for some of our industrial work as well. Uh, powerhouse, either nuclear or fossil. Uh, or also petrochemical uh, related uh, job sites like mobile oil, coastal oil, et cetera. Uh, so that was more, that was geographically closer, but you had different challenges there. You couldn't just run over to the refinery. You had, you had to have a plan. You know, you couldn't, you can't get on a refinery job site uh, too simply. Uh, you had to have clearance, you know, a plan. You had to have a reason to be there. Somebody had to know you were coming. So those, those were the obstacles initially to creating relationships, I would say. So what advice would you, so, uh, so those are clear relationship challenges because you can't just pop in and be a friend. Mm -hmm. But in terms of establishing a relationship once you were in front of somebody, were there any issues or challenges there that you had as you moved into this more personable role? I, you know, back in that time, in the 80s and into the 90s, uh, probably even through 2000, I found 
I believe relationship building and creation was substantially easier than it is today. How so? And, and I believe that, you know, we, back then we had the luxury of going out to lunch, going to play golf, uh, go have dinner, go to ball game with somebody and have dinner afterwards, you know, go to a club, whatever. Now, today, I think relationship building is substantially more difficult because many companies, small to large, have rules in place where they actually don't want you going out with vendors uh, or subcontractors, or there are limits. Even within our own company, we have uh, limits about uh, or limits on the number of dollars you can spend on any one person in a given year. So you can't just go entertain whenever you feel like it or give them, give them tickets to four or five, six games in a, in a season. You know, you have to manage it much, much more closely. And I think that that's a challenge today that we didn't have in, in years past. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point because, frankly, in my career, I've had vendors who have um, tried to buy my relationship. Mm -hmm. I I remember one gentleman, he was a a real estate broker, commercial real estate. We were looking to move our company. And in my first meeting with him, I happened to mention, uh, so I read a lot electronically using my phone. I don't read physical books anymore, uh, Mm -hmm. rarely, I should say, just because it's, it's less convenient. And I mentioned, I, you know, I used to love reading in the pool and you can't do that with electronics, at least back then, this was 2011. Now, you know, these things are all, you know, uh, uh, not waterproof, I guess they don't use that term, but whatever, they're water resistant. Yeah. yeah, you could drop them in a pool and you're, you're not going to lose them. And right. so he bought me this, um, this waterproof case and, and just showed up the next day and I'm like, wow, like, I don't know you that well. And <laughs> the opposite effect, you know, I'm like, right. And, right. You, you um, felt imposed upon by, by that act, action. Right. And there's, there's, a, there's a human um, need for re- reciprocity that he was trying to leverage. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're aware of it, it, it backfires. And that's exactly right. what happened right. in this particular case. So uh, real relationships, are, I, I think, are established differently than that. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like you're forced now to create relationships at a different level because right. you can't do that. Yeah. And, and actually, I, th- I actually think that the relationships are not as deep slash maybe even as important to the, the two people that have the relationship because you're so reliant upon electronic communication. I mean, even, even a phone call anymore is not common you know we're, we're dealing with people uh, from from an email perspective most of the time and you know the only time well the, the the few times that you do have the luxury of face-to-face communication are on job sites and the only way you have typically the way you have it on a job site is if you've already won the job so you know my customers the general contractors etc most often really don't want you in their office and they're willing to send you a link for drawings to take off or whatever it is you need to bid the job. Sometimes you'll need to visit a job site and look at it. 
and, and that works. You know, you can start building a relationship with the job site folks or the job site team. But um, I, I really do believe it's harder today to create relations, meaningful, meaningful relationships that, you know, we didn't have those, some of those obstacles 20 years ago. Is, is it less important today, in your opinion? I almost, I, I think that's maybe what I'm trying, what I'm getting at, that I don't feel, I, I, perhaps it's more about dollars and cents anymore and less about relationships. But then on the other hand, you know, the people that you have had relationships for 20 years or 10 and have done business successfully, you know, and taken the burden off the customer and performed well, then those relationships are, are relatively easy to maintain via electronics or a phone call and less so in person. But I think establishing new relationships are the real challenge. And so what advice do you have? Because clearly without relationships, you're commoditizing what you're doing. Uh, and if, you're a commodity. That's right. all you are. And right. the reality is in any business and even construction, although sometimes it's a challenge to convince construction executives of this, mm-hmm. when you're a commodity, it becomes price shopping. And that's not always what generals want. It certainly isn't always what owners want. In fact, it's almost right. never truly what owners want. Right. They, they need a quality product. Correct. And they and, need it on time and they need it done correctly. And, and they're, they're price sensitive, but they're not price driven necessarily. Correct. And without relationships, sometimes it's hard to convey the quality, right? Correct. So right. You have to you have to have the audience, you know, to to make the case that you're the right choice or to demonstrate your abilities or your experience. You know, you can't just send somebody a spreadsheet of similar jobs and say, hey, we've we've done all these jobs, you know, before it's just like yours, we'll do very well for you. Uh, you know, some of that is you have to sit across the table, look at the person in the eye and convince them that you're the right choice. And, and it's really about, I find, establishing a comfort level. And that's the most important thing you can do when you have a face-to-face meeting about winning a job. It's, it's establishing a comfort level and a degree of confidence. And you don't have that much time to do it. You know, within the first five or 10 minutes of any meeting, your 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 prospective customer has pretty much made up his mind my opinion all right so now i'm going to ask you to pull back the curtain because you're really successful at what you do you you, you wouldn't have risen from uh, mm-hmm. estimator in 1980-ish to, mm-hmm. to a project executive of a, of a publicly traded company as you know like you are right now if you right. have some secret sauce there so what's that well, secret? I- I think one of the most important things is, you know, be honest, don't oversell yourself or your abilities or your company's abilities. And I think just being honest and offering options, uh, you know, here's a better way to slice the apple than perhaps what you've asked me to bid on Uh, or offering you know, a value, a value proposition, perhaps there's an alternative material. 
uh, you know, that would work just as well. It's less expensive. It's more available. Uh, so there are those types of easy, uh, easy offerings that would that is that help you establish a level of comfort and trust with your prospective customer. So let me play devil's advocate here for a second, because in my experience, when if somebody doesn't trust you initially, if you haven't got a toehold of trust, mm-hmm. coming in with alternatives is going to fall on deaf ears. Right. Yeah, very possible. So I want to peel that back a little bit more before you have that opportunity. What what is it you do to get gain that toehold of, of trust? Well, I can't even say that toehold of trust so that so that people are open and receptive to hearing an alternative well one of the things that i try to do is when you're when you're submitting a bid you know via email attached to a note that says you know here's your price for this or that job and i one of the things i always try to do is uh even for for whatever value it offers i do try to attach a a list or spreadsheet of experience or related projects that kind of demonstrate, look, these folks have worked for 42 different customers over 10, 10 years, 15, whatever years. They've done X millions of dollars worth of business in those, in that time period. Uh, It's got a range of customers, you know, owners, um, general contractors, others, et cetera. So providing initial information like that and even a little bit of explanation with it in your email, I think at least piques the interest and, and it provides you with some level of, um, not reality, but so, some level of uh, competence that you can demonstrate. And until you have the, that window or that opportunity for an actual audience, and that that's one little stepping stone to get you to that point, because, you know, if I'm if I'm on the other end of that email and I see, well, these guys have really done a lot of business. It's similar. I know I know some of these other jobs I'm familiar with them, know where they were, whatever, or or even, you know, they can even make a phone call and call somebody at that general contractor's office and say, how did that job go if they're really interested? So I think that's a door opener. If you, okay. if you just offer your, offer some some additional information just besides your proposal. So let's switch gears here because persuasion in the sales is one area. You have direct reports now, correct? Um, no, no. We, we, all of us pretty much go solo. So I really don't have a support network other than in the field. For the folks that actually run the field folk, the field people, our carpenters, our tradesmen. So th- there are people that have, re- there are two folks that have responsibility for managing manpower uh, and moving manpower from job A to job B. But uh, on, the, on the admin estimating side, project management side, relationship side, we all pretty much do our own, our own work from start to finish. Which, which, all, which in, my, in, in my case, you know, the longevity and the, the long-term relationships are what's really important. How so? Well, 
you know, if, if you're just waiting for the phone to ring, because people, I believe, again, you don't have the opportunity to just cold call on general contractors or job sites too easily. Job sites are a little more easy, but someone's office, I, I, I feel pretty strongly that most people wouldn't just give you five minutes if you popped in. Uh, I think I think most people today are busier than they should be, and they don't have time for that. Because, you know, we're all, electronics are a wonderful thing, but they have, they have streamlined the process so much and made communication so easy and, and facilitated demands on everyone uh, to an extent that, you know, I think people, some people feel a lot overwhelmed by the level of communication and the number of demands that are put on them or the number of opportunities that are presented to them electronically in, in our business, you know, in construction. Right. So I, I think that's, uh, I think it's difficult, you know, to just go and generate or, or, um, or win new customers. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. So you need to keep those relationships going on the existing sure. ones. Right. And, and, you know, and the, the long-term relationships that you do, that you have, like me or like others, as you progress in a career and, and you're, you've been around 10, 20, 30 years, you know, the folks that you started out with at, at let's say, the same level of different organizations, you know, now they have more responsibility. And they're they're sharing your uh, your competency, their confidence in you. They're sharing it with their direct reports or their peers in those organizations, and that helps you widen widen your or broaden your uh, your customer base. Really, sure. So you're able to go deeper within an organization. Correct, and and also have relate have significant relationships at higher levels in those other organizations as well. So ma- maintaining relationships becomes really critical. Correct. Correct. Yes. So, and, and, and as I said, I, I think it's more difficult today than it ever has been to maintain those relationships for lots of reasons. So if you had one piece of advice for somebody starting out today, what would that be? I think uh, I would say to that individual, um, you know, exhibit a personality on the phone, exhibit a personality as much as possible in an email, Uh, you know, try to get to that level of humanization when you're communicating. Uh, You know, if you have a phone call, take some notes about that individual, ask them a couple personal, but not personal in, in depth, but Ask them about, you know, what they like or what, what are they doing this weekend and take some notes. And then the next time you talk to that person, hey, have you been out riding your, your cycle or what, did you go to the mountains, you know, lately or have you been to the beach? I, I understand, you know, you told me at a beach house. Uh, those are little things or, hey, you know, I was going to my son's little league game, you know, that Friday night or something. Little things like that that demonstrate that you care about the person you're speaking with 
are so important. And even if they have a life event, you know, somebody got sick, somebody had a baby, send them a card, you know, communicate on a personal level. And I find that doing that, it's not like you're trying to get into their life, but you're demonstrating that you're a real person. You're not just some dude on the end of a phone that wants to, wants to win a job. You know, you're a real person. And if they care about you, they're going to care about making sure you're successful. Absolutely. I think that's, that's really solid advice. It works on so many different levels. Um, yes. You know, at one point, at one level, of course, everyone's going to give you a little bit. At first, it's, it's difficult, right? We don't know each other. I don't mean you and me. We've talked right. But pretending this is our first conversation, so you know you're not going to tell me about you know the 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 and I'm just making this up some deep dark medical issue yeah. that's causing you agit, and we we don't know each other that well. But no. but you might mention yeah. that you, you know you, no. you're you're a cyclist, yeah, correct. And, or and then, or you know like like you and I first connected, we both play hockey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Little things like that make all the difference. A- absolutely, and so. So at one level, we make that personal connection. At the same time, if the next time we get together and you go, oh, man, I got to tell you about, you know, this, I had a three-point game or whatever it was. And I'm like, oh, right. He's a hockey player. And I go, Scott paid attention to that. He's probably going to pay attention on the job site to the little details Mm -hmm. as well. Because, Because I value what you've said. Yes, and you show me you're involved in deep listening. Correct. And, and it's Correct. going to, tri- the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. Yes. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with you that, you know, if, if, if that person paid attention to what I said about a, a little thing in my life on the side, then they're probably going to pay attention to everything else I say to, for the most part. And, and I can probably trust them to manage the details. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. And and like you said, it's a challenge today, but it's sort of like digging for gold, right? Just a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you've got a deep relationship, a deep right. Mind shift. Right. And and when that when that customer or that individual that you're dealing with goes to a new organization, which always you know happens, uh, you know that you automatically have an entree into that new company or firm if you didn't before. So it's an, little things like that are investment in your future, really, because it helps you be successful and widen your net when things change. Yeah, I'll tell you, I wish I had had this advice um, 30 years ago, because I Mm -hmm. frankly, and I'm just being candid, I was not very good at maintaining relationships. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's, if, if there's and I don't care what the industry is. We're, we're talking right. construction right now. I don't care what your field is, what your industry is. Doing it from the heart. This this was the challenge I always had. It felt forced to me, mm-hmm. right? Like my life, our lives would digress, diverge. It's like ah, you know, this feels like I'm doing this for some ulterior motive. You got to do it from the heart. But I think if you right. can do that, it it pays off huge dividends. Right. It, yeah. You, you can't come off like a, to, to paint, to paint car salesman in the, in the wrong light, but 
you can't come off like a used car salesman. You, you really have to come off like a legitimate, honest, sincere individual. And I think if you can convey that, I think long-term you'll be successful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I, I read, oh no, I was at, well, by the way, something else I found out we have in common Mm-hmm. Um, that I was when I was looking on uh, uh, the, the website for, for board directors for for the uh, Firestop contractors. You have a uh, two. Uh, you have a C seven, right? I I do. I do. I've got a 2019. Oh, nice. Good for you. Yeah, that uh, Grand Sport that I um, I, uh-huh. I, did, I did the uh, uh, museum delivery. Oh, I when I got mine in fourteen. Um, I thought about it and then I just couldn't, I just couldn't justify, you know, going all the way out there, spend the money driving home, you know, the whole thing. But I thought about it. Well, if, if you get another one, it was an amazing experience. Is it? That's, that's awesome. And you get to drive it off the line, right? Well, no, no. At it's the very just, end or not? No, you deliver, they delivered in the museum, not at the factory. Oh, the museum okay. across okay. the street from the factory. All right. Uh, and they drive it out of the museum because it, it goes through this really narrow hallway. Okay. Right. And, and uh, so they don't, I think they had a, they told me they had a problem. Somebody hit the wall. Uh, okay. Yeah. You wouldn't want that to happen. No, it would have broken my heart. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, That's it, good. It, it, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool experience. Did you, did you drive it back to California then? Yeah. That was the break-in. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so we, we you know we took we took I uh, Interstate forty and you know uh, yeah. Route sixty six stopped in. Okay, uh, that know. sounds like a fun drive. My 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 parents did that a couple of times out that way. Yeah, we yeah. stopped in Oklahoma City to get that five hundred mile oil change, and then, okay, yeah, uh, got cool. got my first ticket on the way back. Uh, <laughs> what state? In Oklahoma, it was Oklahoma? cheap. Yeah, it was cheap. Yeah. After the dealership, we were leaving. We were just taking these little back roads. And it, right. I was only doing 60 and a 40, right? But right. I have to tell you. A little town. Yeah, exactly. And a two-lane highway, cop goes opposite me. And, and as we pass him, I don't even realize how fast I'm going because that car goes so easy to go 60, right? Sure. I look in my rearview mirror sure. and I see the lights come on. He turns he around. I, I just pulled over. He was great. He was nice. And it was a really cheap ticket. It was worth it. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> but, you know, you didn't give the guy a hard time. You pulled over. You waited for him to show up, right? Yeah. You knew what, you knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to get Bonnie and Clyde it. I did that. That's work. funny. The, the funny what color part, did you get? What's that? What color did you get? It's the Admiral Blue. Uh, it's, a, it's a Grand Sport. I had custom, like, completely exactly what I wanted. So, Okay. Admiral Blue with the um, uh, 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 visible carbon fiber inlay on the hood. Yep. The clear roof. Right. Um, the black rims with the red stripe. Okay. The red hash marks on it. Right. On the fenders. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's uh-huh. gorgeous. It, it's absolutely gorgeous. So uh, I'll Do show you. Do you take it out much? It's my everyday car. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Even better. Yeah, and and then I went to Pahrump to do the uh, driving school. Ah, nice, nice. So, listen, we've gotten really far away from persuasion, but uh, <laughs> talk about relationships and little things, right? That's yes. that's a great example there. So, yeah, I yes. remember reading that, and I went, "Oh, I got to bring this up." So, yes. do you get yours out much? 
I, I do. We, we had it out in the Poconos this weekend, which are about two hours away. We were actually going up there and just looking around at real estate. And uh, yeah, we had it out for two days this weekend and put a couple hundred miles on it. Yeah. So well, uh, it wasn't a great weekend, but it was, it was fun to be in the car. So I'll, I'll have it at the conference next week, by the way. Cause I'll, oh, awesome. I'll, it, I'll look forward to seeing it. Yeah. I'll have to clean it up this weekend though. <laughs> It better we, be pristine, Dave. Yeah, we, 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 we had rain. Well, I had, so um, the problem with everyday car, you know, I've got the ground effects when you, I was parked, right. at, a, I, I parked at a Home Depot and I made right next to the concrete, you know, at the end. So nobody could park there on the right, right side. And I cut the corner too early and I scraped uh, the side there. So I, I got to get that fixed, but it looks right. awesome. Well, I, I won't look at that. All right, I won't, I, I won't <laughs> point it out to you. I'll look, I'll look past that. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. Don't hold that against me. Absolutely. All right. Any last words um, now that we board our clients or, or our listeners, I should say with our, our car talk. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just think, I think at, at the end of the day, um, being sincere and honest about capabilities and expectations both ways for you and your prospective customer I think you need to set your expectations uh, or lay them out to them as well. Uh, but I think those, those couple of things, being sincere, being honest, forthright, really, you know, long-term will help you be a successful person. And it will also help you persuade people to see that you are the way to go and you, and you are the right choice. Absolutely. You know, the truer words were never said this, the, the secret to success is sincerity. And mm-hmm. when you can fake that, you've got it made. I, I always say that I always say to my customers, um, you know, it's not about the job we're doing for you now. It's about the five more five additional jobs that I want to do with you in the next five years. I said, that's, that's what I'm trying to perform for. Yeah. And for me, I always tell people it's my job is to make you successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's really that simple. You know? Right. Right. And, and in construction, you know, our job is to be in, basically invisible so that nothing crops up. That's an issue that they have to deal with. We're, we're the problem solver. We don't want to be on the list of problems. Yeah. A- a- absolutely. And construction, that's the uh, GC's got enough. There's enough problems with all the sure. regulatory side of it that they don't need. Absolutely. Th- they don't need a sub like that. Well, great having absolutely. you on. Yep. Enjoyed it, Dave. It was fun. Yeah. And I look forward to uh, seeing you next week at the uh, conference. Absolutely. I will look forward to seeing you and your vehicle. Uh, I'll, I'll have her clean as a whistle. I promise. All right. I look forward to that. <laughs> all right. Take care. I'll see you in a week, Dave. Bye-bye. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.